I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. We are on a lunch break right now. The judge has just recessed for the lunch period. A lot going on in the courtroom. With me, an all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now. But one thing we're definitely sure of, according to an expert, Paul Murdoch could have survived the first gunshot wound. Now let that sink in just a moment. Paul Murdoch could have survived the first gunshot wound. What did he endure lying there on the floor of a dog kennel, knowing his killer was coming in for the kill shot? This, as we believe, Maggie Murdoch ran for her life. First of all, we know that they were shot at close range, both of them. Take a listen to our cut one. This is Dr. Ellen Rimmer. Gunpowder is basically burning and projects the projectile out of the barrel of the gun. A projectile can potentially travel a very long distance, like you know, many like many feet or you know, yards or a long depending on the, the projectile until it hits something, or if it doesn't hit anything, it could eventually lose power and hit, go to the ground. But um, the gunpowder that leaves the barrel of the weapon can travel. Um, not too far, it only travels about uh, up to three feet, depending on the weapon. We don't usually see it any more than three feet. Sometimes it's within two feet, but depending on the, the firearm, um, I can't say exactly, but it's somewhere in that range. Joining me, Ted Williams, high-profile defense attorney, former Washington, D.C. police detective, Fox News contributor, starred in Power of Attorney. I could go on and on. Ted Williams... That's not good for the defense. You think that this young man, his son, could have lived after the first gunshot? And what was he doing? Crawling along, trying to get away from his killer? Think about that. What is the jury thinking about right now? Well, I think what the jury actually is thinking right now is that this was very tragic, that it was traumatic testimony, it was shocking testimony, but what it does not do is connect 
Alex directly with the shooting of Paul or Maggie. And you are looking for the prosecution to connect the dots. And uh, Nancy, I've got to tell you, they haven't done that. Yes, they put on that very gruesome testimony. Dr. Raymond was excellent in explaining <coughs> the death of these two people. But above and beyond that, what the prosecution must do, they've got to connect the dots to Alex. And I got to tell you, that is what the jury is looking for. Uh, the jury, I'm sure, uh, is somewhat upset. Him, uh, Ted Williams, you keep saying connect the dots, connect the dots. I'd like to see him also, Christine. Connect the dots, connect the dots, connect the dots. They're not tying it to him. You mean other than the gunshot residue on his hands and his clothes and the victim's blood on his steering wheel and all of his lies and the videotape placing him in the kennels about two minutes before the gunshots? What more do you want, man? A video of the murder? Nancy, what I want is just this. The prosecution, the proof that Alex Murdoch murdered his wife and his son and to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. And there is reasonable doubt. When you talk about the blood on the steering wheel, when you talk about uh, the blood on the uh, shirt, those kind of things can be explained. And I think you're going to find that the defense, when they start their case, they're going to try to explain some of the things that you've talked about here. They have not shown to me, meaning the prosecution, that they've so far to date proved their case beyond any reasonable doubt. Okay, uh, Irv Brandt, Senior Inspector, U.S. Marshal Service, DOJ, um, author, solo shot, just out on Amazon. He's been sent all around the world on prosecutions. Can you help me? And Christine in New York, could you please check Ted Williams, IFB? Because I don't think he's hearing the evidence. He's missing, somehow he's missed, that Alex Murdoch has gunshot residue on his hands, on his clothes. There's blood from Maggie uh, and him, there's his DNA and Maggie's blood on his steering wheel. He lied about his alibi. He's asked witnesses to lie. And the weapons used in the murder are from the Murdoch dog kennels. They're from there. They belong to a Murdoch. I mean, what else do I need to stand out on Third Avenue and scream Alex Murdoch shot his wife and son? Irv Brent, can you talk to him? Uh, yeah, Nancy, I'd love to talk to Mr. Williams. Uh, I know he was a detective. Now he's a defense attorney. And... It's always been my experience with the defense that they put reasonable doubt and beyond the shadow of a doubt and without a doubt, they always put it together. Uh, what he was saying, uh, I understand, but it's reasonable. Everything that the prosecution has put together is reasonable. and. Every person sitting on that jury is going to come to the same conclusion that he murdered his wife. Uh -oh, hold on. Hold on. I'm hearing in my ear joining us straight out of the courtroom is Katie Kamen, breaking news anchor, investigative reporter, Live 5 News out of Charleston. Katie, first of all, how was the jury reacting? I saw Murdoch tune up. He turned on the waterworks. But you know what? Every time I look at him... I would be tempted to feel sorry for him when he starts crying. But then I think back on the uh, body cam footage where he was going, eh, eh, eh. but there were no tears. That was fake. The whole thing was fake. No tears at all. I mean, who should I believe, Katie? Him or my lion eyes? Come on. How, what's the jury doing? That's really all that matters. Ted Williams can say anything he wants to, but all that really matters is what the jury thinks. Well, Nancy, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, we have obviously seen some changes in the jury because of COVID and some illnesses last week. Um, the jury is always very, li they're listening intently always. Um, it was hard for the jury to listen. Some of them were getting really emotional. Um, some of them looking away. I mean, it is such gruesome, graphic testimony. 
I mean, it hurts your heart to think about a mother and her son being slaughtered in this way. I think it's having an impact on them in one way or another. But you also have to think that they've been instructed to come into this courtroom thinking that Murdoch is entirely innocent. He's innocent until proven guilty. They come in with a clean slate. Um, so they're really having to put all of this through their brains. They're really having to think this over. And it certainly is a lot. But I do know that they are getting emotional. It's weighing on them heavily what they've had to hear uh, today and yesterday. Now, I'm going to interpret what Katie Cameron just said to mean they showed no emotion. No, I think I think yes. there are some some there they do feel emotion hearing that yesterday. I, I think one of the women there was maybe even crying, shaking her head, had to be consoled by another juror. I, I do think that this is weighing heavily on them. I do think that especially what we heard from uh, Dr. Reamer uh, yesterday, that's hard to listen to, to hear about the gunshot wounds and, and what's happening to the victims or what happened to the victims. I think it is weighing on them. I think they are getting emotional. But I do think that they have to have a different perspective than all of the rest of us who are hearing media reports, who are reading stuff on the internet. Yeah, when I'm talking about jury reaction, that's what I'm talking about because I find it really hard to believe a jury could hear all that evidence and not have and see those pictures and not have any reaction at all. But I did notice this. Um, Dr. Michelle Dupree joining me, pathologist, medical examiner, former detective author of Homicide Investigation Field Guide, Dr. Dupree, you and I have repeatedly gone over and over that body cam footage. And we see, by the time the cops got there anyway, Alex Murdoch has on a clean white t-shirt, clean shorts, clean hands, clean everything, and as much as he contorts his face... I mean, for Pete's sake, they get there. He's standing right there in front of his wife and son's dead bodies trying to say, oh, yeah, this has something to do with that boat accident. I mean, he's getting his story in I mean, with a very, very methodical description. And there are no tears, Dr. Dupree, no tears at all. We've both seen it. Nancy, I agree with you. I, you know, I don't think that he is acting appropriately but then everybody does grieve differently and I'm sure that he's in shock whether he did it or not I'm sure that he is still in shock but I think these videos are telltale to me when he is interviewed in the car that night he is calculating he is thinking I can see his wheels turning in his head he's thinking about what he's going to say before he says it and he he actually has I think inappropriate responses um, on several occasions um, when he asked the person um, later at the crime scene, hey, how you doing? That isn't something that you're likely to say when your wife and, oh, and child on, have on, just been hold murdered. Hold on, Dr. Dupree. Dr. Dupree, guys, Dr. Dupree is right there on the scene in South Carolina. She's been to the scene. She's been to the boat crash. She knows everything uh the ins and outs of this case. She knows what she's talking about. But I really don't think you did that justice, Dr. Dupree, uh, when you said, he said hey to somebody. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Back it up. Back it up, doctor. He's right in the middle of trying to cry and carry on in front of the cops. He's trying to tell what happened. And then right in the middle of it, he's going, oh, my wife, my son. And then he sees somebody he knows walking by and he goes, hey, how you doing? That's what she's talking about. I mean, complete. And another thing, while we're on the subject of tears, he never cried then, but in front of the jury, oh, don't you know Hart Poolian had this orchestrated? He's got a Kleenex box right in front of him. And the jury's about, what would you say, Katie Cameron, about 20 feet away? He's like, I can't get it fast enough. Let me just take all the Kleenex out of the box. You know, it's just so obvious because when he is not in front of the jury no tears but in front of the jury he can't get in that kleenex box fast enough yeah you're exactly right nancy you know he seems to put on a show when it's needed and when he's going to be seen by the appropriate people such as the jury um he even sort of tries to 
um, have some sniffles and a little bit of tears or, or crying when he's being interviewed. But he really puts on the show, as you said, when the jury is in the room. Uh, to Katie Cameron joining us, breaking news anchor out of Live 5. You can find her on Facebook, Katie Cameron TV. Katie, did he start crying in court today? Yes, he was once again very emotional today, very emotional yesterday. I think he's been more emotional today and yesterday than I've seen this entire trial. But, it, you know, it was very gruesome. Testimony he listened to, what, what motivations you want to believe he has, obviously. Um, but extremely emotional crying yesterday he got very angry as well it seemed about what that was when one of the sled agents took the took the stand the dna expert and she was going through each uh test that was taken and, and identifying who might have contributed to that dna um he seemed to be scowling at her giving her a side eye even um haven't seen that side eye today but definitely seen some tears from him today okay uh katie Cameron, what do you mean by side eye um like a scowl like Beyond just a sassy look, like an angry look, um, not necessarily looking directly at who's testifying, but as you might guess, kind of from the side. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Easy Breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Ted Williams, do I need to hearken back to the ultimate ultimate courtroom show masterpiece of O.J. Simpson. Not once did you ever see, I'm telling you, Johnny Cochran, God rest his soul, my old co-anchor, he knew what he was doing. He had, Simpson was kicked back, not like he's, you know, putting his feet up on the table, but he was relaxed. He'd smile at the jury when he would watch a witness. He would, um, act like he was taking it in, he write notes. He was probably playing tic-tac-toe with himself, but he looked like he was taking actual notes. He'd lean over and something to Cochran. Never once did he come off angry. Once in a while, he would look like, you know, he questioned the witness, what they were saying, look in disbelief. But number one rule, you do not want your client to look angry. Char your client charged with murder and one of those lady jurors looks over there and sees Alex Murdoch looking all angry and mad and the next thing you know in her mind she'll have him holding that pump shotgun in his hand. You have to control your witness unless he cannot be controlled. And Hart Pootlian, listen, I've talked to a lot of lawyers that know Hart Pootlian and when he's not in court, he's the kind of guy, which reminds me a lot of Cochran, that 
you want to be with. He can tell a joke. He can tell a story. He can spin a yarn. In other words, make people like him. I guarantee you Hart Pootlian cannot control Alex Murdoch. And there he's sitting there looking like he wants to take somebody's head off. Well, well Nancy, yesterday... I don't think his attorney wanted to control him. Look, that jury, when all of this testimony they saw, for the uh, pathologist was speaking, Dr. Reimer there, on the stand and telling how these people's brains were blown out, how uh, uh, tragic this was, how uh, their bodies were found. The jurors were not looking at the doctor. The jurors were looking at Harpolian's client, and that is Alex Murdoch. And what did you want him to do? Just to set there stoic when he hears about the persons he loved, and he's saying that he did not kill them, that their brains were all over the place. So you just want him to sit there in a stoic manner? That isn't going to happen. And if it did happen, and if he did not show any emotions, that jury would hang him in a heartbeat. So when he showed those emotions, he played, and I'm sorry, the prosecution allowed Alec Murdoch, without at this stage getting on the stand, to look very, very sympathetic in the eyes of that jury. They would have expected him to cry under the scenario and circumstances of what he heard. Even if you were just outside the courtroom, you wanted to cry for when you heard about how these people were murdered under these circumstances. Uh, can I see Ted Williams again, please? Ted, if the whole TV star thing doesn't work out, have you considered uh, taking to the pulpit because all that preaching you just did reminded me when I was a little girl and the preacher would be telling us we're all going to go to hell if we don't X, Y, Z. Man, you can really lay it on. But see, that's not the question I asked you. I asked you something entirely different. I asked you not about him crying in front of the jury. I asked you about him looking angry the way that Katie Cameron just described him looking angry at the scientist who's just up there talking about the DNA. And it made him mad. It made him mad. Let's examine why it made him mad. And in that vein, joining me is a world-renowned DNA expert, Chief Development Officer at Authram Inc., Authram.com or DNAsolves.com. And one of their expertise is to take degraded or mixed DNA, DNA that's been underwater, DNA that's been in mud, DNA that's the result of an exhumation, digging up a dead body, and somehow finding a way to make a proper DNA analysis and get results. Um, Dr. Kristen Middleman, thank you for being with us. Could you um, venture to hypothesize why Alex Murdoch probably was angry about the expert on the stand? Absolutely. First, thank you for having me, Nancy. And, and yes, he was angry because DNA doesn't lie. There was blood on that steering wheel. There was blood that contained his his own DNA and also DNA that belonged to the victims on the steering wheel of his car. Why was there blood in the steering wheel um, when there was no blood in his hands when the police and the detectives arrived? There was no blood on his clothing, which you would have expected, right? If I saw my, my husband and my child uh, in a crime scene, I, I would probably <coughs> touch them in a way that there would be blood or DNA from that blood transferred onto my clothing. There was nothing, there was nothing on his hands. Like you said, he was calm and collected when even, even brought up motive um, when law enforcement arrived, yet there was blood on the steering wheel. Why did he even go back to the car? I thought he drove home and then found you know, it. I'm curious about his scowl during the DNA expert up on the stand, the, the, the crime lab person. Let's go back to uh, investigative reporter joining us, Katie Cameron. Katie, could you give me a, 
Could you give everyone who may have missed some of the testimony this morning? It's been a very packed morning. And I want them to get through this evidence, Katie, because I don't want to lose any more jurors. Um, what would you say is the crux of the testimony this morning before lunch break? Well, it's certainly been a packed morning. We've heard from multiple witnesses. Uh, we had heard more from Dr. Reamer. She was that forensic pathologist yesterday that went into that grisly, gruesome detail about uh, the wounds that Maggie and Paul sustained during the murders. Um, when uh, Harpootlian cross-examined her, he was trying to get her to uh, basically say that the, the gun was right up against Paul's head. He was trying to get her to adjust what her belief was where that entry wound was. She did not budge. Uh, she had a great quote for him as well, um, kind of putting Harpootlian in his place a bit. We also um, heard from a man who he used to take uh, care of the dogs, the kennels uh, there at Moselle, um, out in that rural part of Colleton County. Now he was detailing you know, everything from how he wrapped up the hose at the kennels to where the dogs were located, um, talking about how well kept he kept all of those dogs, where they had the guns kept on the property. Um, those are probably the two most interesting and intriguing bits of testimony today. Um, a man from General Motors, he uh, took the stand just to introduce evidence. We heard yesterday that General Motors maybe has some more data that just uh, was shared with the prosecution over the weekend. We expect to hear more from them. Um, right before we went on lunch break, we heard from someone with the attorney general's office, a forensic accountant who was testifying about um, some of Murdoch's financial situation in the months leading up to the murders. Uh, I guess the defense will have their chance at cross-examination with him after lunch. But that kind of sums up this morning. Definitely been a packed morning. Definitely been an interesting morning as well. Guys, I want you to take a listen to Hour Cut 12. This is regarding... Alex and Maggie's DNA on the shotgun. This would be State's Exhibit 259. And what is that item? Um, 259 contains um, sled items 15 and 16, which were swabs um, from the Camo Bonelli 12 gauge shotgun. The comparisons would now be um, Margaret Murdoch and Richard Alexander Murdoch contributed to the mixture versus two unidentified unrelated individuals contributed to the mixture. And the result of that comparison is the DNA profile is approximately 48 quintillion times more likely if Margaret Murdoch and Richard Alexander Murdoch contributed to the profile than if two unidentified unrelated individuals contributed to the profile. Okay, let's examine that. Katie Kamen with us. The DNA found on the shotgun is Maggie's and it is also Alex Murdoch's. Explain to me the defense theory, if we know it yet, as to how Maggie's DNA is on the shotgun. Nancy, I'll be honest with you. There was so much information shared during that witness's testimony. I think that I and a lot of people, including the jury, probably have some difficulties sifting through all of that. Uh, why the defense uh, made that or why they why they talked about this. So I'm going to have to defer to somebody else on that one, unfortunately. Well, I can tell you, well, probably because they haven't laid it out in their cross-examination. But what I think they're going to say, Irv Brandt, is that Alex Murdoch touched Maggie to get her pulse, even though she was obviously dead, and then touched his shotgun, ran into the house to get a shotgun because he thought a perp was still there. But... The problem with that is when the cops got there, and Christine, if you could show that body cam video of him in the car, in the patrol car, he doesn't have blood on him. It's not on his shirt uh, that you can see. It's not on his hands. So there's got to be some other way that he got blood on that shotgun. Many would argue it's because the shotgun was present at the time of the shooting, not that it was the murder weapon, but that it was present. What about that theory, Irv Brandt? I think you're exactly right, Nancy. Uh, there's only so many ways you can explain it, and that seems to be the most logical explanation uh, that you just laid out, uh, unless something else in the testimony uh, comes later that gives you a different perspective, I think that one 
is the correct one. Also, take a listen to our cut 13. This is about Alex and Murdoch's shirt reportedly being positive for blood. The white shirt from Richard Murdoch was submitted with a blood request um, on June 9th of 2021. I processed this item for the possible presence of blood. So that entails I first visually examined the shirt for any areas that are consistent with the staining of blood. Then I tested these items that I have indicated um, for the, with our phenolphthalein uh, presumptive test for blood. Two stains were indicated or were tested. Um, both stains were positive for the possible presence of blood. So the shorts also were uh, submitted with a blood request. They were processed in a similar manner. Um, several stains were tested. However, two were positive for the possible presence of blood. Um, a stain located at the front left interior pocket of the pair of green shorts was forwarded for further analysis. Um, this was processed on the same June 9th date of 2021. The shorts were also additionally processed at the same time the shirt was additionally processed um, to retrieve a second stain that was uh, indicated as the possible presence of blood. So the presumptive results for this stain were that it was positive for the possible presence of blood. Well, Ted Williams, Ted Williams, you're going to have a field day with this because reportedly when the state did the testing on the shirt, the shirt ended up getting turned blue or purple. In other words, it ruined the shirt for further testing by the defense. You, you know, absolutely. Um, here again, when you're talking about the blood that was supposed to have been found, you still, uh, even that witness on the stand did not connect the dots. All you could do is say that that was blood. They did not talk about whether this was Paul's blood or whether it was Maggie's blood. But this is the key. The fact about it is, he's not saying that he never touched their bodies or he's saying that when he found them, he tried to find a pulse. So there are a lot of ways that that can be explained, Nancy. Uh, and I think that you're gonna find at some stage or another, the defense will give more of an explanation of it. I just wish mm -hmm. that the prosecution would have put on a more crystallized case. Those witnesses, the woman that testified yesterday, the problem was the testimony was all over the page. And I'm sure that a jury that wanted to be focused on these various items, or they, I'm sure at some stage, some of them had to lose focus. I listened to this testimony, and I wondered when the hell was it all going, because it was all over the page. And, and so I, 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 I find that to be very troubling. And I, that does not help the, the prosecution, I believe, to prove that Alec Murdoch murdered his uh, son and his wife. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Well, we can't let, uh, it would be disallowed, given the right objection, you can't let a crime lab scientist connect the dots, as you are saying, because the crime lab scientist is not the one to say, hey, the reason there's blood on his shirt is because he shot them. That's for the state to do in opening and closing statements. So we're going to have to wait for that, but I agree with you as it stands right now the jury may be wondering okay what does this mean but we did learn something regarding that garden hose you just heard about i want you to take a listen to our cut 10. where is in this picture where is the hose you're talking about located this back towards the left hand side back towards the forest end is that that yellow that's that yellow green up? looking hose were you pretty particular about how you wound that hose? Yes. And why would you do it that way? And did you do it that way every time? Every time. The the picture that you're seeing there, that hose, is that the way you would wind, uh, rewind it up? No. How do you know? Um, I'm very particular how I roll that hose up. And it's kinked up. If you notice, there's pressure on that hose. Um, somebody used that hose out that I did. Oh, because it is twisted. Okay, to Katie Cameron joining us from Live 5 News. Tell me the significance of that garden hose out by the kennels. 
Well, Nancy, back, you know, one of those first days of testimony when we're watching that body cam footage, or we're hearing about that body cam footage at least, um, when they're out at the kennels, they keep mentioning these puddles of water by the kennels, by, close to where Paul's body was found. For days, we've kind of been wondering why this water kept being brought up in other uh, testimony from other witnesses. So now it's brought up again, this hose. What we think that the state is getting at is that after uh, they allege Murdoch killed Paul, killed Maggie, he maybe used that hose to clean himself off, clean up the, uh, the crime scene a little bit, and that's why there would be water there. Of course, the, the dog keeper, the, the man that took care of the kennels, testified when he left, that hose was exactly where he put it. There was no water, it was all dried. Um, so we'll see what the jury thinks, I guess, at the end of all of this. So, wow, what about that? Ted Williams, the kennel was dry, and the video that Paul took of the dog for his friend, Rogie, Rogan Gibson, there wasn't puddles of water. And now, after Maggie and Paul are shot dead, there are puddles of water. And the garden hose is unfurled. It's kinked up. So, wow, Ted Williams, what killer would take the time to hose off the kennel? Well, let me just use the word, so what? And when I use that, mm -hmm. Nancy, I don't use it in a flippant manner. I am saying that the, the I don't know how the hose got the way it, uh, it was put there, uh, but let's say uh, that Alex wanted to clean himself off. Let's say he wanted to even clean some of the blood off. <laughs> don't you think that when the authorities arrived there, saw that area, saw that puddle, that they would have even have looked in that puddle and, and, and taken some evidence from that puddle? Don't you think that the crime scene search people would, as in preservation of that crime scene, would have used or, or picked up anything they could in the sense of that kind of fluid? Because guess what? Even if he cleaned his body off and there was some blood that went in that water, they could still be able, would be able to uh, find that meaning the crime scene search people. So I don't make a big deal out of this. And the prosecution, again, Nancy, we want the prosecution to connect these damn dots. Tell us, tell that jury, what is the connection between that hose, that water, <laughs> And Alex, just to infer, you want to convict this man of murder because you want an inference to be drawn with a hose? Oh, that's not going to happen in this case. Dr. Michelle Dupree, not only pathologist, medical examiner, but former detective and author of Homicide Investigation Field Guide, if there's a random killer, uh, you never see staging of the scene because they don't have anything to cover up. If you see a killer connected to the victims, then you see staging. Staging simply means the scene was altered. I had one case where the mom victim was found naked on her bed dead and the killer had put a wicker trash basket over, basket over her head. Uh, I've seen cases where the body was moved or in serial killer cases, those freaks will uh, redress the woman's body and Ted Bundy even applied makeup and washed the victim's hair post-mortem. That is extreme staging. But in this case, it's very clear that the killer wanted to get rid of evidence. They weren't worried about getting caught. They had time in their mind to hose out the kennel for Pete's sake. They knew nobody was going to kind of catch them. And that's only one person, Alex Murdoch. Exactly, Nancy. And there's something interesting about this. We keep saying that the, the blood on the T-shirt. The um, if you are checking a body for a pulse, you're not going to have droplets like that. You may have transfer, which has been talked about before. But where this blood is located, where this blood was found, 
it's not going to be as if you were checking a pulse. And in addition, we want to know what that looks like. It's not a smear or a streak of blood. It's basically small droplets. And again, you don't get those from checking someone's pulse, if in fact he really did check someone's pulse. Guys, we have been taking your calls, your questions, your emails, uh, a lot of it off social media. And here's a really good one. It's from Stephanie Marie. Why is Alex Murdoch silent on the 911 call until they pick up? There's no crying. There's no sobbing. There's nothing. But the minute that 911 caller uh, dispatch picks up, everything changes. Katie Kamen, who has listened to the 911 call like the rest of us, isn't that true? Stephanie is Stephanie was right. There's no sound from him at all until the dispatcher picks up. Yes, Nancy, that is true. I've listened to it, um, the unredacted version, months and months ago. Listened to it again um, now. Yeah, it is silent. And if you've ever called 911 before, you do hear it at the beginning. They record you the second that you dial those numbers. So um, certainly something interesting to think about that as soon as he hears that operator, that's when he starts crying and and you could actually hear that emotion. You know, Beverly A. Bear has a good question. Why would Maggie's phone be moved and discarded, but Paul's left behind? That's a really good question. What was on Maggie's phone that needed to be discarded? Why did Alex Murdoch delete, I believe it was 73 entries in his phone? Question to you, um, Dr. Kristen Middleman, Paul's phone was laid neatly on his body, and there had to be DNA evidence on that phone. What does that signify to you? I know you look at not only DNA, but the placement of DNA. Yeah, so um, it is odd. It's odd that one person's phone was laid neatly on their body, and obviously mixed DNA would be there, and then the other phone was discarded as to hide something or to, to not... Um, allow it to be found because of the information that was probably on the phone. I think in this case, um, he wasn't as worried about his DNA being on all these items because he was he belonged to the family. And so he believed that that would just be excluded. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he worried about the DNA being all over the crime scene, as you say it was. And I think that what you have to do is you have to put that in context of where it is, how it is, just like the previous person just said. It wasn't like a smear of blood from hugging someone. It was spatter. It was a droplet of blood found on the shirt. Um, the, the position of that DNA found on the gun, that's very important. That will start to tell the story. Where was was Maggie's DNA on that weapon? Where was Alex's DNA on that weapon? I think that that's what we need to hear next. We've heard from the analyst in the lab sort of that, yes, the presence of DNA is there and at what sort of degree they can exclude other people from, from having DNA there. We even heard the defense take on the fingernail clippings and, and make a big deal about the fact that his DNA was not under the fingernails. Although I don't think that means anything. It, it, there was no defensive wound, so there, there shouldn't have been a struggle. And as you can see, um, someone made a, a note that she had gone to the nail salon earlier. Um, I wonder if, if they, they would want to, instead of just tell the presence or absence of DNA and on all these items, start to discuss what, where exactly on these items that DNA was, I think that's going to start to tell the story of what actually happened and um, what, what would probably let us know whether or not Alex was involved in murdering these two people or whether he was just there. Obviously, he was there. There is the audio, there is, uh, now there's blood on the steering wheel, there's DNA everywhere, but the question is, um, how was he involved? And the placement of DNA could start to tell that story. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible, Easy Breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. The Internet is on fire right now with rumors, speculation that Alex Murdoch is going to take the stand in his own defense. Uh, to Katie Kamen, what's the word at the courthouse? How much longer do you expect the state's case to last? When will Curtis Edward Smith testify? And most important, what about the theory that Murdoch will take the stand? Well, Nancy, we expect the states, their case, all of their uh, witnesses, we expect that to wrap up tomorrow, even with the addition of some of this new evidence from GM that they uh, introduced or expect to introduce. They said middle of the week, so tomorrow, even with this COVID stuff. Um, obviously, we would expect Curtis Eddie Smith uh, to testify before then. We've been hearing about it since last week, though. Um, heard it from officials and off the record. And he still hasn't taken the stand. So at this point, we're wondering if there was some sort of controversy behind the scenes because we've seen his attorney in court. Um, not sure if he's going to take the, the stand or not. So many people want to hear from him, though. Um, obviously, you know the story, Nancy, but for folks who maybe don't, he is allegedly involved in an insurance plot, a suicide for hire with Murdoch back after the murders. Um, so we definitely would like to hear from him as far as the defense, they, we expect them to start their testimony with their witnesses maybe Thursday. They expect that to take a week as well. And we're also hearing some, some grumbling, some rumors that Alec Murdoch himself may take the stand at the end of all of this. Might be true, might not be true. Um, we'll just have to see on that one, I guess. Uh, Katie Cabin, are you telling me that Curtis Edward Smith's lawyer has been in the courtroom as of today or yesterday? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what day it was, but one of our other investigative reporters said that she she did see his attorney in the courtroom at least in the past week. Okay, that means he is still set to testify as of that moment because there's no way she's going to spend her time sitting in the courtroom if her client is not involved. I'm sure she's got a thriving practice with clients waiting for her to show up or do something. Long story short, she's not just sitting there watching the trial without any purpose from what I know about her. Here's another question. Who will the defense, this is from T.L. Barber. Who will the defense call for questioning? Character witnesses? Fat chance, like a snowball's chance in H-E-double-L. Ted Williams the reality is, once the defense brings on good character, the state can then respond with bad character, and there's plenty of it. Well, the state is, uh, has already tried to respond as best it could with uh, bad character evidence. I can tell you that the defense has been very slick in this case, and they have, with witnesses that have been on the stand, they have been able to put on sublinearly character evidence uh, that Alex is not such a bad guy. Uh, that has come out through 
uh, witnesses on the stand. Now, who they uh, anticipate, I believe that the uh, defense is going to call in their case in chief, is that they are going to call quite a few experts to dispute the experts that have uh, already taken place. For instance, Dr. Raymer or the pathologist. I would have to believe that they are going to call their own uh, pathologists to dispute some of the testimony of Dr. Raymer. So uh, I think you're going to get here next week into uh, the battle of the experts or perhaps even this week after the uh, the uh, prosecution rests. But uh, when you speak of cousin uh, Eddie, um, uh, I think uh, that guy is bad news for both sides. And I don't know if the uh, prosecution really want to call him to the stand. Uh, one of the things that we are leaving out here, uh, Nancy, we must talk about. These two people, Maggie and Paul, were shot with two different weapons. Uh, Paul with a shotgun and uh, uh, Maggie with uh, is possibly an automatic long gun. And so the fact about it is the defense's argument is that there were two shooters that uh, killed these people. And their argument is that this is about the murder or, or should we say the accidental killing or the killing of uh, Miss Beach uh, by Paul when he was driving that boat. And that's going to be the manner in which the uh, defense is going to go at this case. Yeah, that is what they're going to do. I don't know that anybody believes it, but yes. We have been talking in depth about the fact that two weapons were used. Maggie and Paul were not shot with the same gun. Uh, the guns both appear to be Murdoch weapons, and both the guns, at least one of the guns is a Murdoch weapon, both the guns have disappeared. Now, uh, little green men from Mars may have beamed down Ted Williams and gunned down Paul and Maggie. Could have happened, but did it happen? Is it reasonable to believe that? No, not really. So that will be what the state argues back. But my question to you was, would the defense call character witnesses? That was the question. If they call good character witnesses like Alex Murdoch sang in the church choir, no. No, because then the state can bring in all of the times he was drunk, all every time he ever stole, not just the few we've heard about, everything he ever did wrong will then come into evidence. And right now it's being barred. You're, you're absolutely right. If they put on testimony, meaning of his good character, they will open up a door where in, in even rebuttal at the prosecution would come in with his bad character. But uh, uh, listen, they've already harmed themselves, meaning the prosecution, as far as I'm concerned in this case, by putting on this cockamamie uh, financial evidence to try to show that this man murdered his mm -mm. son and his wife because he was concerned about the exposure of uh, this financial, of his financial fraud. That's utterly ridiculous. That's another area. I don't know. I disagree with you, and I'll tell you why. Maggie was about to take half of everything he was worth in a potential divorce, including his inheritance from his father. Uh, but once she's dead, you don't have that problem. Paul was the source of a major multi-million dollar lawsuit against Murdoch and his family. Paul was killed. That argument, that lawsuit was quickly settled after Paul's death. But let me ask Dr. Middleman the um, question regarding the DNA. The DNA. How do you come up with such fantastical numbers as to the likelihood that this DNA came from anybody else but Alex Murdoch? It's like one in four quincillion. It's numbers we don't even learn in math. Yeah, it's just the probability standards of how many times it would be that 
that those letters of DNA would show up in those alleles uh, across the population. And, and what those numbers tell you when they tell you like <coughs> 1 in 14 quintillion or whatever it is that they, they name a few times, that just means that it is not likely that another person on this earth, because there's not that many people on this earth, could have left the DNA there. And then sometimes you get a result like, you know, it's 11 times more likely that the DNA belongs to this person rather than this person. That's just telling you that we don't have enough loci on that DNA to characterize, so the, the probability of it being someone else is still very possible, right? There are enough people here to have that happen. So it's giving you that statistic number so that you can weight how important that piece of information that the DNA analyst gave you is when they're making that testimony. So when you hear those huge numbers, that means there's a lot of weight in what they're saying. So when they say the mixture is between Maggie and Alex and the number is, you know, in the quintillions that it would be someone else, then you know that that's certain, that's almost certain. When they tell you that it's 11 times more likely that the DNA underneath the fingernails came from the person that, that could be from the person that maintains the grounds, then you know that's a very, that it could, and it could also be a whole bunch of other people. So you wouldn't weight that as much. Um, that's how you think of that information that they're giving you. I don't know if that answered your question. Yes, it did. You know, Cookie at the Beach asked, what happens if more jurors come down with COVID? Out to Katie Kamen joining us at the courthouse. Katie, uh, how many alternate jurors do we have left? Nancy, we're down to three. We started off with six. Now we're down to three. Uh, those jurors are going to be tested for COVID again tomorrow. We'll see if a few of them drop out. As we know with COVID, it spreads. So uh, very well could happen that we're down to even, even less than that number. I, we did talk to our legal analyst last night who said there is no rule to have 12 jurors if these alternates get wiped out and we get down to 10 or 11, we could continue with this. Unlikely, you know, the mm. defense probably would call for a mistrial. Never going to happen. But a possibility, we Katie, are in dire straits. Katie, that's never going to happen. If the defense can get a mistrial because you get down to 11 jurors, that's what's going to happen. So we've got to try and finish the case before three more alternates or, excuse me, three more jurors come down sick. Here's another question. This is for Dr. Michelle Dupree from Carol Leckby, who was killed first. Can you tell Dr. Dupree? It appears from the evidence and the things that I've read, it appears that um, Paul was probably killed first. Um, and we look at that because of the evidence that's there and also because there, it's theorized that Maggie was shot um, in the front but also in the back and that she was probably heard Paul being shot and was trying to run or get away. And that, as Dr. Dupree said, is determined by the evidence. Uh, it, did it look like she was running? Um, what was the angle of her body? She had just been in the kennel with Paul shortly before the murders. Where was her body found? Matters like that will tell the investigators very often the sequence of the events. Um, Here's another question, and I want to throw this to Irv Brandt. We've heard Ted Williams speak often about not connecting the dots in this case. You, Irv, have sat through many, many jury trials in felony cases. Do we think the jury is so inept they can't add 2 plus 2 is 4? Because I reject that. I think they know exactly what's going on in the courtroom. They do, Nancy, and uh, defense attorney Williams uh, lays it out about connecting the dots, and he wants prosecution to connect the dots and connect the dots, connect the dots, connect the dots. When he knows good and well you don't connect the dots until closing argument. You lay the foundation, you put out all your evidence, you draw up the plan, then you connect the dots at the very end. And he knows that. So I'd like to hear from Detective Williams, uh, not Defense Attorney Williams. And uh, I think he would agree with that. <laughs> okay, Detective Williams, give it a stab. I've got to give it a stab. Look, a case of this nature has to be driven by the evidence. Just a few minutes ago, Nancy asked Dr. Dupree an excellent question. An excellent question. Which, who was killed first, Molly 
or, or, or Maggie, I stand to be corrected, or Paul. That is not for Dr. Dupree to be able to say that prosecutor, that prosecution, they should be able to tell that jury which one of these people will kill first. They need to be able to put evidence on to that effect. They haven't done that. We, this panel, has done a better job of putting on a case, I believe, than the prosecution. Dr. Millman just mentioned the uh, evidence here that can be reasonable doubt. We have DNA that was found under Maggie's fingernails. And guess what? It was not Paul's. And guess what? It was not Alex. Uh, so that is something that the defense will be able to hang its uh, head on, uh, its hat on in closing arguments. So when you use the fact that we're talking about closing arguments, closing arguments are there to sum up the evidence and to connect those dots to the evidence. But if the evidence has not been presented, as in this case, they've been all over the page, as the evidence has not been presented properly, it could lead to reasonable doubt and this man being found not guilty because of that. You know, I think the state's been very clear about its theory as to why they believe Paul was killed first. And to Dr. Kristen Middleman, joining us from Othram Inc., Othram Labs, we know that Maggie had just had a manicure. Now, wouldn't it be significant to you, Dr. Middleman, to know whether the DNA on her nails was epithelial skin or who gave her the manicure? Uh, was it blood? Uh, wouldn't those questions be important to you in making a determination regarding the DNA under Maggie's nails? Absolutely. And that's, that's exactly what needs to be presented. Um, my guess is because they did name what was blood under the DNA evidence that this was not blood evidence. This was epithelial DNA that was found underneath the fingernails. It's also obvious to me that there was no physical struggle. These victims were executed, as we know, at a close range, but there was no physical struggle that we know of because there are no defensive wounds. So expecting the DNA under the fingernails to actually point to the perpetrator um, doesn't make sense to me. And like you said, she had just gone to the nail salon and it could very well be that the technician that was doing her nails is who has the other profile that matches the DNA under her her fingernails. And, there, and Nancy, uh, you know, Nancy, Nancy why don't the, the prosecution Nancy. put that evidence on? Dr. Milman, they need to call her as an expert because what she says make a lot of sense. You would have expected that as a part of the prosecution's case that they would be able to uh, 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 put on somebody to be able to say, hey, look, where this DNA may have come from. But they haven't done well, Nancy. that, Nancy. Dr. Milliman should be the expert in this case. You know what, Ted Williams, let's just be honest here. The only reason that we know about the DNA on Maggie's nails is because of a state's witness. The defense didn't produce that. The state produced that. That is how we know about it. So all your bluster about the state needs to bring that forward. The state did bring it forward. So there's your answer. That came from a state's witness report. Nancy. Nancy, Nancy, would you agree with so, me Nancy, that one the, thing that we that have to look at prosecution about this has DNA the burden, under the fingernails. The prosecution has the burden in this case. Not the prosecution has the burden. The defendant can okay, sit over yeah, there you're, on you're his preaching. butt and not say a word. Yeah, well, the fact is, you said the state didn't bring it in, but it came in through a state's witness. So you're wrong. Dr. Dupree, so go Nancy, ahead, please. Okay, so there's a couple things about this DNA. One is that, it, my understanding is, there was not enough DNA for a profile. So as it was, I think it was 11 or something like that. The other thing is, DNA can last for up to 17 days. Now, you know, that would be unusual that she didn't wash her hands, but if she had, um, gel nails or something, there could be um, gel stuck with the DNA there. So there could be many reasons for her to have a little bit of DNA under her fingernails. And it could be the technician or someone else that she had come in contact with that day. So I don't think this DNA under her fingernails is actually a very big deal. But do you hear, Williams? It will be a big deal by the time Hart Poolian gets done with it. Okay, Ted Williams. 
this is going to hurt, but last word to you. Well, look, uh, I, I think uh, this has been a tremendous panel because I think we've done a better job, I believe, than the prosecution of clarifying matters of evidence uh, before the jury. The jury needs as much clarification as we can give them uh, in a case, as you already know, Nancy. And I got to tell you, well, when I looked at the way they put the DNA on yesterday, it was very confusing. And then when they put on more financial evidence today, after they were already had, had put on enough, uh, it seemed as though they're over trying the case and that that could hurt them. Nancy, you have been around. You know that there are cases that have been overtried and, and jurors can pick up on it instinctively and uh, they can move in a different direction than you want them to move in. And remember, we're only, only in the uh, prosecution's case at this time. Thank you. Okay, but wait a minute. You can't have it both ways. You can't have, oh, the state's failing. They're not connecting the dots. They're not doing their job. And now you're saying they're over trying the case. You got to pick one. Not, not really. When you're looking at this financial evidence, which I think is substantially more prejudicial and probative, and you bring this in and you keep hammering away at the financial evidence, and when you can't connect the dots with the actual evidence that is needed for a successful prosecution, and I don't think the financial evidence does it, I think you've got a problem. The witness that was testifying, I believe, regarding the DNA under Maggie's nails to Katie Cam, and I believe was state's witness Zapata, is uh, the SLED DNA analyst. Isn't that correct? You know what? Never mind. I've got it right in front of me. It is. Okay, but I will throw a bone to Ted Williams. The state's witness did tell it, but it was under cross-examination by the defense. And I'm leaving on that note before Ted Williams can say anything else. <laughs> Goodbye, friend. We're going back in the courtroom. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 